All we need is a place to be And a few good friends for some company If you'd like to stay, you don't have to leave We'll leave the lights on and the door unlocked If you drop on by, you don't have to knock We're happy to share whatever we've got Well, welcome everybody to week number two of a West Seattle NASCast in depth. We were, uh, I, was, I was looking forward this week. Uh, we were going to try and find one of the seasoned veterans of our church that uh, was kind of the epitome of all that we are and all that we do and, and just kind of the pinnacle of who we are as a church. Um, and we couldn't find that person. So instead, we got David Dunn. <laughs> About that, I'm, uh, uh, in terms of age, I'm probably the most seasoned, but the, the, the shock is above me. It's, I, I think that's the only one. David, are, are you excited about being on the podcast? Oh, it's, uh, it's an interesting experience. We'll see how well, it goes. Let's... And, uh, I, I'm sure I'll put in my best for uh, so that everybody will get the feel about what's going on and what, what I feel uh, about life and what I feel about the church. I will... Uh... I will see if you still are this excited when we're done. Um, I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I'm going to guess that this is the first time you've ever been interviewed on a podcast. Is that correct? For a podcast, yes. That is uh, the first time. Oh, oh, so somebody might have been recording me in secret when uh, I... I had an interview or something like that. I don't know. Let's say I wasn't aware. If it Maybe the done. KGB. <laughs> oh, the McCarthy. <laughs> um, okay, so follow-up question then. David Dunn, have you ever listened to a podcast in your life? Uh, uh, you, you could call it podcasts. Uh, uh, yes, I, 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 occasionally, uh, uh, I occasionally listen to those things, but... Uh, well, uh, it's not a regular pattern. Okay. I, uh, okay. Okay. Look, you you're you already know what's going on. Um, we're sitting here. We're comfortable. Can we get you a coffee or anything? I forgot. What? That's uh, not very hospitable. I, I, I'll be. I, I, I'll take the coffee afterwards. And okay. It's all over. It'll be I'll great. volunteer Jeffrey to serve you. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, are you uh, are you open to some advice? Uh, I have to be. Okay. Um, we. I and I mean this. With all sincerity and as a deep compliment, I think, at least most of the time, um, you have the gift of gab. <laughs> you know why? I know why. I kissed the Blarney Stone in, you know, uh, in Blarney Castle. You what? I kissed the Blarney Stone the in bl- Ireland. The Blarney? The Blarney Stone. What on earth is the Blarney Stone? Well, uh, crowds go there now in Ireland. They, uh, 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 you've got to bend over backwards and uh, kiss this piece of stone. Hold on. Again, we have a live audience. Has anyone heard of this kissing of stones? Can Steve, can, ver- is it, can you verify? Is it a thing? So because you kissed some ancient stone in Ireland, that's why you talk a lot. <laughs> it happened before that, but that uh, <laughs> say, uh, uh, the uh, the Killarney, the Blarney Stone enforced it. Okay, well, this makeout session you had with some stone in Ireland uh, has the potential to be a blessing and a curse for a podcast. The blessing is you're gonna. I, I have no doubt you will have plenty to stay for the podcast. The curse is I currently have about thirty-five questions to ask you, and so. 
some of your answers, not all of them, but some of your answers are going to have to be a bit pointed and kind of to the point and, and shorter rather than longer so we can get to basically your entire life given that you're uh, one of our seasoned veterans. Is that oh, okay? Uh, in, in other words, I've got to remember what I learned with pressing writing. And with what writing? Uh, pressing writing, they called it. Uh, that class I hated. <laughs> this is, David, I'm really excited about this. Just the intro. Uh, Kristen just walked into the room. Kristen, are you excited about David Dunn's interview? Yeah. Okay. Um, first question. Well, that's probably not the first question, but first question for the interview. Last week, after we were done with Josh, you, you enjoyed listening to Josh, right? Oh, of course. Okay. Uh, does everyone in here, Kathleen, did you enjoy listening to Josh? Okay. Tabitha? All right. Uh, Kristen, have you listened to the podcast yet? Oh. Oh, yeah, you did. Um, I got to hear, I got to hear parts like on repeat three times. Yeah, Kristen last night went to sleep to Josh's voice. I don't know if I'm going to add that last statement out. Um, question. Last week you came to me afterwards, uh, after the interview, and you said that it was the greatest idea I've ever had as a pastor. Do you still stand by that comment? Uh, yes. Really? Yes. Tell me more. Uh, <laughs> it's part of being creative, is the ministry. So you think we're being creative right now? Uh, in that aspect, yes. Okay. Uh, I'm not saying you're not creative in other aspects, but this is through that. I like it. Okay, let's go to the beginning. Not, not Genesis in the beginning, though you're almost as old as that. Um, uh, 6,400 years. 64. How old are you? 84 years and 10 months. 84 years young. Uh, you were born where? In Torquay, England. Torquay is a seaside resort, which uh, used to be a Victorian kind of English resort. Uh, it's on the south coast and it has a fairly Wait, mild climate. It's on the water? Uh, yes, it's on the water. Is it beautiful? Yes. Why would you ever leave there? Uh, I thought I was go. Uh, well, that's what you had to do. That's what everybody did, uh, unless you wanted to uh, keep yourself as uh, a working class boor all your life. Okay, how, um, was it a tourist town? Yeah, it is a tourist town, yes. You were what year were you born? 1937. <laughs> that is a long time ago. Um, how long has it been since you've been there? Uh, 1981. Uh, okay. That's a long time. You were born in 1937. Uh, how long did you... Give me... Will you say the name of the place again? Torquay. T-O-R-Q-U-A-Y. Uh, how long did you live there? Uh, I'd say... Uh, a total of 30 years. 30 years. So you, wow. So what was it like growing up in a tourist town as a kid? Well, I didn't understand that it was uh, uh, such a thing as a tourist town until I met the uh, people that we called the lodgers on the, uh, uh, and the people that came down from the north that... Uh, uh, well, we're a little different to us. Uh, so you see, just like in America, you, your people from the north of England uh, speak a little differently to those in the south. Interesting. They, and uh, they have different mannerisms. And uh, But they came to us for sunshine. And the, the main deal was to get sunburned there. Did, did you spend a lot of time at the beach? Yes. As a kid? Yeah, well, uh, yes, as, um, uh, uh, quite, a, quite a lot. 
In fact, uh, when I was 18 years old till I was 23, uh, every summer vacation, I worked as a beach attendant come lifeguard. Uh, Wait, you were a lifeguard? Well, you'd never believe it. But, uh, you look at my muscles now, you wouldn't. Uh, oh, yeah. Look at those muscles. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. This is interesting because Josh, so Josh was a lifeguard last week on the podcast. And so, so you were a lifeguard as a teenager. Uh, well, teen, early 20s. Or early 20s. That means we're on a run of having lifeguards on the podcast. So next week, uh, I need to go find another lifeguard, apparently, and we'll keep it going. What was, uh, okay, as a kid, what are your memories of growing up in a tourist town? Well, the word tourist wasn't the most relevant. Uh, a Turkey was supposed to be, uh, the people were Devonians, and they called us Demsher Dumplings. Devonians, what's that? Uh, well, it's uh, apart from the term that's, uh, the term that's used in archaeology, they use the Devonian period, and they, they, Devon is a county. And what's the implication of referring to somebody that way? Well, uh, uh, actually, uh, uh, I don't remember being referred to as a Devonian. I was uh, okay. Uh, we see the people from London called us Dimitri Dumplings. And so we that, called so, them cockneys. So I'm so both of those were insults. I'm assuming. Uh, well, yes, yeah, sort okay. of. <laughs> and you lived there until your 30s. I'm just guessing a lot of your identity was formed, in, at least in your early years, in this kind of area that you grew up in. Uh, yes, I, I, I suppose so. According to the storybooks, they uh, they say how your uh, mind and uh, attitude is formed. Uh, it's not too bright a story. Uh, the brightest part is that uh, the idea of unlearning a whole lot of stuff that I was taught. Uh, I, I was taught what uh, class was, what caste was, all those sort of things, and uh, you don't have that in America. And you had to speak a certain way if you wanted to be, uh, oh, anybody, uh, uh, I had to speak that way. So there's a, okay. Um, <laughs> Anybody, anybody who has uh, been around the church for a few years, if you've been, what, five, how long have you come to this church? Uh, four or five years, I oh. think. It's, nine, it's a 2016, uh, I believe. Uh, okay, so about six years. Chambers, uh, the church closed, uh, let's say, okay. uh, I think it's 2016. Yeah, so that's about six years. Okay, so anybody who's been going here for the last six years and attending a Bible study on a Wednesday or a Sunday school or, or any, you know, any number of conversational places knows that, uh, number one, you, you, will, uh, you will answer questions, but as you answer, you often go back to kind of, well, certainly World War II, you go back to Hitler a lot, you go back to kind of European politics. And so, so you grew up as a kid with distinct memories of World War II, is that correct? Especially the day that Hitler died, everybody cheered. Yeah. <laughs> well, they said he was dead, uh, and he's supposed to have died on my eighth birthday, April really? 30th, 1945. Wow. So do you, are the memories of World War II as a kid, are they vivid? Some of them, yes. I wonder if you'd tell us about what that was like as a child growing up at that time. 
I remember one that happened in May the 30th, 1943, which in the church calendar was called Rogation Sunday. And that's as late as you could have Rogation Sunday because that year Easter was the 25th of April. And uh, they had a big crowd at the church. And uh, Hitler's intelligence found out about it. And so he sent his biggest bomber over and it uh, hit the church, killed all the 300 people, a prisoner, all of them. Uh, and you found hymn books and uh, various uh, as aspects of the church one mile away. Wow. And of course, after all of this, since we had uh, double daylight saving time, it stayed late till 11 o'clock. So I, uh, I went for it for a walk with my parents. And the, uh, the, the, the air raid happened at 20 to 3. The reason I know that is because the clock on the church stopped at 20 to 3. So in the town you grew up in or in the surrounding areas, there were bombs that were dropping. All the time. As a child, you lived in an area where you were aware at any given moment a bomb could be dropping where you were at or around you or... That was a reality. Oh, yes. But we had air raid shelters. So how often were you in the air raid shelters? Uh, all the time from, uh, I think, the end of 1941 to, uh, uh, well, when the, uh, to D-Day, I'd say, uh, well, because they uh, relaxed things after D-Day. Do you remember, were you, were your parents, were you living in, like, a per perpetual state of fear? Ah. Uh, I accept it as normal as you guys in America uh, accept all the violence that's going on as normal. It doesn't mean to say I like the bombs. It's, Did you know anybody who got bombed? Uh, I knew the numbers of the houses, and I used to be able to recite them off all the houses. that had direct hits, and the people are killed on the spot. Uh, 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 actually, I didn't uh, lose anybody uh, except uh, my uncle, uh, who was uh, tortured by the Japanese. Oh, wow. Your uncle? Yes. Wow. And uh, that's why my mother never liked Japan. Hmm. Do you remember your parents? Did they talk about it often? Did, were they, uh, I'm, assume, I'm guessing they lived with anxi real anxiety and fear. Uh, we had to deal with ration books. And, ration uh, books. Uh, uh, which is what you guys ought to have now with uh, all that's going on with COVID. And uh, the government might come to that state because it has happened before uh, when supplies get short. Okay. Did you have siblings? What's that? Did you have siblings? No, I was a lonely only child. Uh, were you closer with your mom or your dad? I'd say mom. Tell, tell, them, tell, tell us about your mom. Oh, uh, uh, she has some weird uh, ideas, which I, I didn't know at that time it was weird. This is the whole deal, that uh, growing up, you find out these things. That, uh, my, my mom and dad had some weird ideas, too. <laughs> and uh, I, I found out the later their marriage, uh, uh, it, it, it should have been a divorce, but the war just clamped down on you, and... You don't move. You, uh, the government assigns everything to you, just like China does to their citizens today. How, how old were you 
when that clamping down was uh, lifted a bit? Oh, uh, I'd say seven, uh, but that was D-Day, uh, June the 6th, 1944. The war, uh, VE Day was May the 8th, 1945. Did you, uh, was, did you guys throw a big party? <laughs> well, we tell us about it. They had bonfires everywhere, totally illegal, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But they had bonfires, and I noticed the purple light. They had purple lights on the town hall. I'd never seen a street light before. Really? There were no such a thing as street lights. There were just uh, uh, little places where they put the bulbs. How? So if you lived, you were, what was that? Uh, how many years did World War II last? Like uh, from 1939 to 45. So, six years. So for six years of your childhood, you were living with the reality of this war happening. Um, how long after that did it take uh, from World War? How long did it, after the war ended, did it take to feel like we're back to any type of normal? Uh, well, one thing I should bring at this moment, that I suffered from PTSD of some kind for 30 years afterwards. And so did a lot of people. Yeah. And yeah, I yeah. had terrible dreams of the bombs coming. And, uh, and Do you still have those dreams? Uh, the, the last the time I had something like that, uh, a C-130 was taking off from Boeing Field and, uh, in a southerly direction, and uh, I woke up, and uh, all of a sudden the, the thought of a Heinkel bomber came back. Of course, it's a prop, but a C-130 is a prop plane, uh, but that, that, that's the only incident that I've had in recent years. Of course, I pasty. I can hear everything goes on at Boeing Field. Okay, so let's move on a little bit. Uh, and if anybody has questions about this, feel free to circle back in the lightning round. Um, you did your parent? You mentioned your parents saying they should have gotten a divorce. Did they ever separate, or did they stay together? Well, my mother tried to kill herself. Oh wow! How old were you? I was uh, one and a half or two years old. Uh, I knew this had happened, but uh, it was confirmed by a neighbor after she died. When did she die? In uh, 1974. How, when did your father pass away? Uh, he passed away in January 1966, uh, the age of 83. How old were you when your mom passed away? Uh, 37, I believe. Wow. What was that like? Not too good, because it meant that the... The, the home uh, was gone, and I'm here living in America. Uh, Boeing had just hired, rehired me after a long period of layoff, and they just did everything backwards. Mother decided to get sick and die just when Boeing was purring along. And uh, Okay, so you were in America when your mom passed away. Uh, yes, okay. somebody called me uh, at 10 in the morning. I remember it. They're from England. My mother didn't know how to use a telephone, by the way. And uh, it was a neighbor that called me and, uh, and told me what had happened. What year was that? Uh, 1974. 1974. When did, you, when did you move to America? Uh, 1968. So let's, let's back up just a little bit because I'll have some questions that are starting about that. You get to, like, is it called high school there where you, where you grew grammar up? Grammar school. Okay, grammar school. You get done with grammar school. Did you go to college right away? I, I went to university. You went to university where? The, the, the words are different there, by the way. A university is a higher grade than a college. Uh, a, it, what did you study? Uh, mathematics and uh, physics. So you're one of the smart ones. Well, I like to think so. 
That's right. I'm on to you. <laughs> Would you like to be the church treasurer? Uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, 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 Ken Steve does a very good job. He does, but we can always use more help. If you're good at numbers. You know, feeding in numbers on the computer and uh, putting out budgets and all that, yeah. Okay, so you, uh, but you said you stayed in this resort beach town. I don't know if it was a resort. You stayed in your vacation beach town, the, the, the city you grew up in on the coast, till you were 30. So, like, Until, what did you do? Uh, hold on, uh, on may I correct this a little? It's your podcast. There. You can correct I, 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 I lived at my parents' house until I was 18. And from then I went to the university, except for the summer months. And because Torquay was a resort town, they had the jobs available on the beach. And the, the, the reason I got that is because I had helped a local meteorologist. And uh, uh, I, I, I made a whole uh, set of charts for him. Uh, they, I don't know if they still keep them, but it's, uh, uh, you know, what, what was the coldest summer, what was the coldest winter, and okay. uh, record high temperatures, all that I had to tabulate. So when you were done with school, though, what did you do? Well, uh, first of all, I was very pleased. Um, <laughs> it wasn't a very pleasant place. The school or your, the city? No, the, the school, the organization. Why not? Well, uh, well I, 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 I'll put it this way. I, I didn't care for the headmaster, nor did to too many other people, but uh, I couldn't really see why he was too subtle. Uh, uh, that, I suppose uh, people who are upper class in England, they've got that gift of being subtle and you're not seeing through them. Okay. So what did you do when you were done there, though? You got, I'm assuming you got done, what, about 22, 23? Uh, I was uh, 18 when I left the grammar school, and I went to Exeter University. Okay, you were done uh, with that, what age? Uh, 22, I guess. Okay, so what did you do uh, from 22 till uh, whenever you, you said about 30 when you left the town you grew up in? I worked as a Felton Bristol, where you probably heard. A uh, Felton Waddle? Uh, you know, oh, oh, nobody's heard. I'm surprised you guys haven't heard about Felton. A it's Felton a, because what? Because they made all the wartime planes there. Oh. Uh, and they, uh, that's why it got bombed so much. Ah, I got you. So. I you... worked as an aerodynamics engineer. Wow. So what, uh, what did you do then? Uh, and from there, uh, I was just thinking things were going downhill. My career wasn't advancing very much. And then some people from America came over. And they, uh, okay, I, I must say that this was very subtle, something I didn't really see. They offered me four times my salary to work at Boeing. Did your eyes get really big? Uh, well, it was an offer that uh, I felt that I had to take. So, My mother didn't agree. So this was the move to America. Yes. Yeah, so it was all about money. Uh, <laughs> and uh, money and adventure. And uh, uh, my mother didn't like it one bit. Uh, uh, the, the problem came when I uh, became an American citizen. I had an uncle who was uh, very much Royal Navy. He was uh, an officer, a warrant officer, quite high in the Royal Navy. He said that 
becoming an American citizen was the most disgraceful thing of all the disgraceful things I did. What a disgrace. I'm just kidding. Well, he said, uh, you know, the English uh, claim to be patriotic. Uh, was it a hard decision for you or uh, in your early 30s, the offer with that kind of money, was it just a no-brainer? It was a no-brainer. Okay. Uh, it was an opportunity for me. And when's that coming around again? Any regrets? Uh, it was much tougher than I thought it would be. How so? I had to learn how American people spoke, how they acted, how the society worked, and uh, uh, what you should say, what you shouldn't say. And certain words mean different things in America to what they do in England. And, uh, uh, and some of them are very uh, uh, tough words that could be called rude. So... <laughs> You're in America, you're making more money than you had been, your mom's not very pleased with you, you're in your early 30s, it's maybe a bit tougher than you had thought. What are you thinking? Were you thinking maybe I should move back? Were you convinced you're here to stay? Uh, were you just enjoying the paychecks? What was going through David Dunn's head at that time? I bought a new car, a new car fully paid off in six months. Oh man, what kind of car? Uh... A Datsun 510, that's the present Nissan. They used the name Datsun then in the 60s. Is that a good car? I'm looking at my father. Yeah, yeah. my mother didn't like it that I bought a Japanese car so because she hated Japan so much. It sounds like your mom was not very pleased with you, David. Did, did you guys still get along? or? Uh, well, uh, it's a hard question to, uh, to answer. We can, uh, uh, she made things awkward at times. So it's, uh, but after father died, for some reason, she got better. Hmm. I don't like to put that against my father, but it's a, but it's a, she, she felt relieved when he was dead. Did you, okay, so this is a question I have. You say she didn't talk on the phone. Uh, she didn't. Uh, well, and actually, when I, I, I actually called home and neighbors answered for me, and I had to thank them after she passed away. I had to say thank you for all the cooperation they had in taking phone calls. So how did you communicate with your mom in that time? Well, uh, her idea would be writing letters. Did you write letters? Uh, yes, I wrote some letters. That's a... Uh, I also was able to make some phone calls. We had a very friendly neighbor, and uh, of course they had to go to fetch her, and uh, the time of night was a little different. One time it was near 10 at night. I remember one day in September, uh, the sun was shining beautifully. It was a lovely day. It's 20 past two in the, uh, no, it was 20 past one in the afternoon, and I called home. Guess what? Uh, it was uh, a huge storm. <laughs> and uh, she could hardly get out of the house. And, of course, it was dark. Uh, so, so it's eight times it was different, so you have different weather. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you, so between when you moved to Seattle uh, and, and when your mom passed away, did you see her in person in that time? Uh, yes. Okay. How many times? Just uh, once? Six or seven, probably. Oh, okay. Hey, hey, I, I was getting pretty good money. I could pay the airfare. Cool. So you didn't have any regrets coming here? Well, when I look back at it, I think, uh, I take it this is what I did. Uh, things didn't turn out as I really wanted them to be. 
because Boeing laid me off after being there two years, as they laid off 71,000 people. That was the year that they uh, uh, switched off the lights in Seattle. Oh, really? Uh, have you heard about that? Yeah, I've heard of that story. <laughs> um, what was So what was it like being from another country and being laid off? Not very nice. So what did you, what, what, what did, what, what was the next move? What did you do? Well, uh, I, I was sort of dumbstruck by it for a month or two. And they, so I, I thought I was going to be called back within a couple of months. And they, I didn't know what Boeing's uh, policy was. Uh, now I know exactly, and uh, I know that it's uh, their general policy that they bring people in. Uh, they actually took us in uh, like job shoppers, but they didn't pay us job shoppers' salary. When did they, how long were you laid off for? Oh, it was uh, nearly four years. Oh, wow. Uh, but uh, after that time, uh, you'd never believe what happened. That uh, uh, There were some people came from England uh, trying to hire us all back to the, uh, uh, to the home country, as they called it. So why didn't you go? Well, I, 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 I hadn't got a job in America. What, what was I to do? You're, you didn't have too many, I didn't have too many options. I wasn't really as bright as I thought I was. Uh, I felt that I didn't have too many options. So I was offered a job in 1970. And uh, I went back to the north of England, and, uh, which is 360 miles from where my mother lives, because she lives in the south. So you moved back to England? And I moved back to England. For how long? Two years. And that's when Boeing brought you back? Oh, I ran out of uh, reasons to uh, not sign my uh, green card. You see, if I lose the green card, I could never become a citizen. So it, it, it caused me a lot of problems because I had to go back to America to sign that green card somewhere in the United States. Did you? And so you wanted, you wanted to become a citizen at that yes. point? Okay. Well, in fact, the guy in uh, citizenship, I thought that, that 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 was a pretty good move. Okay, so ultimately Boeing brings you back? Yes. For well, how long? Uh, actually, it was seven or eight months, would you believe it? And that's when my mother died in that period, in 1974. Okay. And you went back to see your mom? I went back two months before she died. Okay. Uh, August of 1974. It was when Nixon resigned. Because I remember I had my little transistor radio and I was uh, tuned into a uh, shortwave American station and you could hear Nixon resigning. So we gotta, um, we gotta, we're going to take a break in just a sec and I want to move to kind of faith conversations. But catch us, like give us the last, give us from the mid-70s till uh, 2022 in like 60 seconds. <laughs> you, you, your, well, your mom uh, passes away. Yeah. What, what did you, uh, you did not work at Boeing then from then on or what? Uh, yes, I did. You did. Uh, but they called me back in 1977. And you worked there for how long? Uh, until 1995. And is that when you retired? Uh, that's when I was forced to retire. Okay. And have you been retired since 95? Uh, forcefully retired, yeah. How old were you then? I was 58 when uh, I was forced to retire. What was, um, what was that like? I imagine that uh, at 58, I'm guessing that causes like all sorts of ego conversations in your head about just identity and what, what now and what do I do? And was that 
something you went through or oh, oh yes my mom oh she talked to me about it there's a uh, plenty of things I just didn't seem to have that youthful capability to get on with it after I was 58 and then so uh, yes I, I did some work uh, I, I drove for Hertz for a while uh, I did the jobs like that so just to keep the ball rolling so to speak I got my citizenship in 1974 and that quite honestly, is the reason I think that Boeing rehired me, because they didn't want to uh, have any aliens come back. Hmm. So it was a political game. Uh, so for me getting a citizenship card, they had no excuse not to rehire me. Okay, last question for this segment, and the obvious answer to this is yes. Um, but can, can you think of uh, any moments uh, that, that were deeply formational in your life uh, that stand out to you that we haven't really covered? Any moments that, that as you look back on your life, they stick out as either high points or maybe low points that uh, made an impact and left a mark on your life that we haven't talked about? I think the best thing that was when I, I, I chose to come to America by sea because in the 1960s, you had the option to go by sea. Boeing lets you have it. Of course, I took it because you can take more things with you than you can on an aeroplane. So I get on this boat at Southampton, and it goes all the way down to the Panama Canal and up through Acapulco, San Francisco, and, uh, uh, and Los Angeles, and then goes to Vancouver, B.C. It didn't stop at Seattle. That, they didn't have a terminal in Seattle at that point. So... Uh, uh, and I remember it raining in uh, Vancouver in 45 degrees when it was 94 in the Panama Canal zone. <laughs> nice. Well, let's take, uh, David, let's take a quick break, and then we're going to put you on the hot seat, and we're going to grill you on your faith journey. We want to know the good, the bad, the ugly. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll do the best I can because it is a rather difficult situation. All right. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back, David. I want to pivot just a bit um, to your faith journey. Uh, did you, so first of all, going back to your, uh, I'm, I'm, I, I'm amazed, like, I love the fact that you lived on a coastal town. I, someday I want to hear more about that, because I just, in my head, that seems very dreamy, and I'm sure it wasn't always that dreamy. Um, but did you, like, did you, for your parents, did you guys grow up going to church? Was that, was faith in a, a component of your life or no? The church was just one big joke, quite honestly, except when the, really? that church was bombed when 300 people killed. Uh, they, they, uh, uh, everybody looked out for that church where all those people were killed. And uh, uh, that, of course, provided a local sensation. Uh, I, I, yeah, I'm guessing it. It did. Uh, but say it's church. Uh, uh, it was strange. My mother went to the Church of England, which I thought was very boring. Uh, Why? Well, there was no spirit there except in the yard outside. Do you think that's what all the kids think here? They're like, we go to the West Seattle Nazarene, and that is very boring. I 
I think things could be better, but I'm, I'm not <laughs> quite sure. I'm supposed to be the one with the ideas to change that. And, uh, I, uh, uh, <laughs> I'd say, uh, you, you know, all I can do is to uh, be uh, an interesting and truthful person myself and, uh, and uh, come here to love the Lord and not just to gossip. But you got to admit, sometimes gossiping is kind of fun. Uh, well, uh, I used to think so because that's all go. that ever went on in the church in England. And uh, the first, the very first, but that, that, that's by no means the whole story. Okay. So did your parents go to church regularly? My mother and father went to two different churches. Really? How did that work out? Fine for me. You see, uh, the Catholics, <laughs> uh, you know, the, uh, every Sunday morning, uh, the town shut down. It's just like a Jewish Sabbath. No good cars around, no buses, yep. nothing. Yep. Nothing around on the Sunday morning. And so the Catholics had processions that go up the street every Sunday morning. And I liked all this pomp and circumstance, which the Church of England didn't have. So I went with my father to the Catholic church nearby, and uh, um, we happened to have a very good priest. And uh, I, I went through catechism, and we went through all kinds of details of the Catholic faith and transubstantiation and, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and the Virgin Mary and all those sort of things. So your dad went to the Catholic church, your mom went to the Church of England. Yes. That must have caused some fun fights. They were both indifferent, frankly. They were both indifferent. Okay. I'm sorry, I, I'm sorry to push that point. Uh, I hope I'm not uh, speaking against them, well, I shouldn't be, but, it's, uh, uh, but the, the, the whole attitude was indifferent, as, far, as I understand being a Christian now. So, in your own childhood and maybe teenage years, how, where did you fall in that spectrum? Were you indifferent as well, or was it something that was forming who you were? It was forming. I, I was just seeing what the... I had the Church of England and Catholics to compare, and the Catholics seemed to really do the job, and the, the priest was interested in us. And the, in the Church of England, they could care less about me. That's what I say. Maybe I was wrong in judging them that way, but the Catholic priest certainly helped me along a lot, and he helped me to understand the Catholic faith. And okay. Did you, um, in your adult life, was did you just always go to church? Was there ever a time you took a break from going to church? Or uh, no, uh, it, it gets a bit more complex. See, well, when I was thirteen years old, I. Uh, decided to uh, uh, ask Christ to come into me. And my mother uh, uh, hit me around. Really? Uh, why? Because, yeah, why? We don't want any of that religious stuff here. Really? Uh, 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 you know what that did? Hmm. I look back to St. Paul, and I look back to all the suffering of the early Christians. So I thought, hey, this is real, you know. What do you remember? What at thirteen? What what it was like those moments or that season? What what was it that that brought you to the place that says, okay, I want in on this? And I'd been to Crusader Bible class for two years, and I guess it was gradually maturing me. Uh, 
the Crusader Bible class was actually rather select for for select grammar school boys. Okay. So you in your uh, in your thirties, you come to America. How did you find it? How, how did you go about picking a church? You didn't, I mean, I guess you could have gone. Did you go to the Catholic Church? Because uh, I imagine the no, church. No, I, I had a settled to going to a Baptist church because a they, Baptist uh, the, church. the Crusaders, the, uh, you, they, they were pretty close to Billy Graham, and he was a Baptist. Okay. And, they, uh, and uh, I, I like the hymns much better there. You like the hymns. Uh, that, uh, uh, the, the Do you have thing, a favorite hymn? But I, there, there are so many of them. Just as I am without one plea, that comes from Billy Graham. It's uh, well, uh, I learnt the old rugged cross. I heard none of these in the Church of England, by the way. Or, so okay, so that was like a new. This was a, there was kind of a, a new experience. Oh, totally new. There's no question about it. And I had to start from square one. This is where I say that in my life there were transformations. And so this was a transformational season, faith-wise. Oh, talk to me about it. Um, my mother in later years kept on to me uh, about every time I did something wrong about that garbage about being a Christian. And <laughs> she uh, accused me of it. She was very tense about it. She didn't like it one bit. Hmm. How did you reconcile that? Like this deep experience that you had that, that you, for you was transformational kind of as a person and yet your mom uh, given you some guff for that. Well, she gave me the guff and uh, I, I could choose whether to believe it or not. And I, I, I chose to say that's her guff. Uh, so I just went on my way. Uh, see, by that time I had uh, got, the, I suppose, what you call maturity in that sense. Uh, uh, I, I We're know, still waiting for you to get maturity, David. <laughs> I, I, I'm not there yet. I'm, I'm we sorry. know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but uh, I, I had to decide that so what my mother was saying was that uh, she didn't know. She just... I, I think a lot of it was ignorance in her own head. Okay. You, you know, Father could care less at that, that time. Hmm. It's very funny. You were, you started with the Baptist church, you said. Um, when I became a Christian, I, uh, I, I started, uh, oh, about a year later, I, I started going to the Baptist church. Do you remember in all those years how many different churches you attended regularly? Oh, uh, well, I would say there was a Church of England, the Catholic, and this Baptist church. How did you, uh, so where we got to know you, uh, about six years ago, you were going to the Living Hope Church of the Nazarene, which yeah. is the other, uh, it was the other Nazarene church in West Seattle, and uh, it it was not doing so well, and so uh, we came in and, and, and walked the journey with you all into kind of closing that congregation down, and you and, and Martha and Grant um, came over here, and, and, and uh, we love having you, but but between the Baptist Church and Living Hope, were there other churches in between, or or was was that? No, it? I, I I went to what they called non-denominational church. Sometimes there was people who uh, had periods where they spoke in tongues, and uh, I said that was uh, in my mind. I said this is African witchcraft. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I had some problems to go through. 
Yeah. To sort that out, what, they, what it was all about. Yeah. How did you end up in the Nazarene church? Uh, uh, there's a lady that I knew from uh, a church that I went to that I didn't get along too well with the elders. And uh, she said, David, let's go to a church on a Sunday that has a, a Sunday evening service. And uh, they were becoming fewer and fewer. Now, it Thank God. 2004. And, uh, uh, and so we went to the uh, Living Hope. And, uh, uh, I can't remember uh, Hudson, the minister's name. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And he was a nice guy. So uh, uh, So you became Nazarene. Well, I don't know that there was any difference made there. Uh, I, I I don't see any change, and that's where I have a, a problem. People get too, uh, uh, I wouldn't say indoctrinated, but uh, uh, steeped in the uh, doctrinal niceties. And, uh, uh, and there are a lot of things that are important, and some people are very pedantic. Uh, things like Jehovah's Witnesses don't serve except Christmas. So, oh, there's a whole lot of stuff that goes on in the church. They, uh, I had to sort that out. and uh, There's a whole number of churches in Seattle I could go to, but uh, I chose to come here, and it's worked out very well, I must say. Well, before we get there, I want to ask a couple questions. Uh, first of all, and this is a topic we haven't brought up, but it is uh, it is certainly a part of your experience here with us, but you play the violin. Yes. Um, when did you when did you learn the violin? When I was eleven. Okay, so you your whole life in many ways you played the violin. Yeah. Oh, I thought that I was the greatest violinist in Devonshire. In fact, <laughs> I, I, in fact, I, I went to the finals, hmm. and I had to make a speech before two thousand people when I was sixteen. Oh my! <laughs> you know, I'd spoken to before people before, but the two thousand kind of shook me a bit. I bet. Did, uh, did you, in other churches that you've attended in your lifetime, did, were you able to play the violin? Uh, yes, I, I played the violin in most churches that I've been to. Okay. What, uh, do you, and I guess I'm try, maybe trying to pull an answer out, so if it's not there, don't feel like you have to force it, but what's it like playing the violin? Do you, is it, do you lose yourself in the artistry of it? Uh, you, it's, it? Is it one of your outlets in life, given you've done it your whole life? What? I've done it my whole life, uh, but I don't have the dexterity I used to. Yeah. Some of the uh, bow work of Fritz Kreisler is rather challenging, as, as you probably know. Yeah. Uh, uh, when I talk about the top concert violinists, uh, uh, I don't stand a chance. Uh, you know, I don't think I'd make it in Andre Ria's orchestra, for instance. And I think he's one of the best conductors in the world. But you enjoy it. Oh, he he's, uh, comes on TV occasionally. Yeah. But you enjoy playing. Oh, yes. Uh, uh, I wouldn't have minded playing in his orchestra but, uh, <laughs> because he's a humorous guy and he's, uh, 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 he had a very helpful manner with his, uh, the people that played in his orchestra. Yeah. Uh, um, you have had, uh, I know, a couple times, is it a couple times you've had cancer? Oh, three. Three times. Have those, I, I'm guessing those have been moments of deep fear and have where you've asked questions about faith and, and had to wrestle. Well, my father died of cancer, so uh, uh, well, I, uh, I guess it was my time coming, and uh, I just did what I could, could to. Uh, and uh, you had treatments. Uh, I had an operation, I had a kidney taken out, and uh, I had kidney cancer, and that was the worst one, by the way. Yeah. Because uh, I know uh, 
Uh, well, one of the elders at another church that I went to was uh, uh, he, he was uh, he was diagnosed with uh, kidney cancer and died a week later. Yeah. So uh, wow. I, I thought I was lucky. Wow, wow. And I've had uh, some skin cancer in the ears. Yeah. And I've had uh, uh, see uh, what was the other cancer? I know that there was a prostate cancer. Okay. You have, uh, as as we've talked over the years, you've talked at different points about church hurt, uh, and by that I, I and, and and again I don't mean to draw something out that's not there, but I at least think I've heard you talk about um, not always feeling like you were accepted in the church. Um, in every place that you've been? Well, it was... uh, You just got to grow up and learn to be more diplomatic. uh, Because you'll never fit in anywhere. It's uh, it's, it's something I had to learn as bitter experience. uh, uh, I think all of these people were jerks, but I had to learn to keep the peace. Hmm. And I think that's what saved me to this day. It, uh, I, I can usually keep the peace and uh, not to get into hellish arguments. It's, uh, uh, I, you know, if there's anything like that comes up, I try to avoid it and, until I cool down. If it's a very important question, then I'll have to t- discuss it. But, uh, and in your uh, ripe old age of your late 70s, you found what we call this quirky little church in West Seattle. Yes. Uh, to somebody, to a friend who knows nothing of this church, and they were to ask you, David, what's your church like? How would you describe this church? I'd say it's very different to anything I've seen before. And everything that I ever expected from a church is totally different. Why is that? Uh, it's the informality, the... Uh, uh, it, you, uh, uh, there's no snobbery in this church. Uh, there's a whole lot of things that I despised in England that you don't have here. Uh, uh, England was very formal. Uh, You're saying you like the couches in the sanctuary? Uh, well, I, you know, that's what you choose to do. I will, uh, you know, if somebody likes it better, well, I'm not going to argue with them. Be honest. How long did it take you attending this congregation to feel like, okay, I think I can put up with them? Yeah, you know, the first week, uh, <laughs> because uh, I find it very quickly. He's still deciding. <laughs> Kristen says you're still deciding. You say the first week. Well, uh, uh, you know, I knew that there was pointing going on because I. Uh, you know, I was waiting to, to see some big gaff in the church, something that, uh, that really said, oh, no, you shouldn't be here. There's this going on. And I never found that in this church. Not even a pastor with a man bun? <laughs> that, that, that was irrelevant to me. Uh, what's relevant to me that is kind- what's in the spirit. I won't make a joke because I think that's a a serious comment. You can do it. But that's the deal. What is relevant is what is in the person's spirit and his truthfulness, his integrity, his character. And uh, uh, it it took me a long time to 
see that because people were always saying <coughs> that in these aspects I was deficient. Hmm. And they were always finding out reasons why and uh, gossiping behind my back. And uh, I've never been aware of this happening in this church. Hmm. Well, let's, let's put a bow on this section before we open up to everyone else to grill you. Um, what has, as you, uh, in your uh, young age of, what did you say, 84? Are you uh, 84? Uh, 84 years and 10 months. 84 years young. Yes. Um, your faith means what to you? Actually, to be truthful with you, the whole thing is getting more scary. Uh, and I'm in what you call the last quarter. But I have to tell myself that the last quarter of every sports game is the most interesting. Oh, let's go there. What's, first of all, the scary? Is it death? Is that the scary part? Or, or Well, the fact that I'm deteriorating. I, I can't do the same stuff as I did when I was younger. I, I, I traveled half the world, and, uh, and I'm just sitting here now. And, uh, Wait a second. You're sitting here talking to me. Uh, say, well, what I mean is that I don't seem to be achieving what I was achieving. And because I'm on fixed income, and I've got all that to go through, and it's a pain to deal with. And, uh, uh, you know, one day I might get sick. They'll send me to one of those nursing homes that you never come out from. And uh, uh, I don't fancy that one bit. So you feel in this new stage of life, and there's a lot of unknowns and a lot of things coming in the future that that are different. And, and just process, processing that creates for you some anxieties around what is to come. Is that a fair way to say it? Or? Well, uh, you look at George Orwell and what he predicted. And, uh, well, uh, I, I see that here uh, with uh, China and uh, uh, Russia, and, uh, uh, you know, I, I wonder if we're going to go to war with Russia now, and uh, it, it wouldn't be funny. Uh, we got close in the uh, uh, Bay of Pigs in 1962, and uh, we got close to going to war with Russia, but somehow I think they're just finding an excuse to go to war with us. Well, let's bring it back to you, though, and then we're going to turn it over to everyone. You just mentioned that this you're in the last quarter, and if you watch sports games, the last quarter is the most exciting. That's right. So how do how does how does David Dunn make this fourth quarter the most exciting? Now that's a problem. I've got to think, still think about that. Uh, actually, it's a, it, it takes more effort to get up in the morning to get going, doing things. Uh, as you know, I suffered from a depression last year, which took away the uh, motivation and drive, and, uh, and uh, I'm hoping to get it back again. It's a, it's a struggle, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Yeah, but in the midst of the struggle, you still show up. Oh, yes. I, uh, the, I could sit at home. You know, I've seen... Uh, uh, other people and some of their attitudes to life. Uh, uh, just uh, today I heard a, so a woman, uh, she lives in Kent in the Shag uh, uh, part, and she's about uh, 57 years old, I think. Uh, she doesn't know how to ride a bus properly. If I get like that, I want the good Lord to uh, bring down the knife and finish me off. 
as I don't, I don't want to ever be in that condition where my mind can process. I'm not, I'm not sure the good Lord's going to be the one bringing the knife, though. You think about that theology later. Let's um, let's turn it over to the lightning round. Who's got a question for David? So, um. You mentioned that you think that speaking in tongues is part of witchcraft? Well, that's the impression that I got when I first uh, uh, encountered it in 1970. And uh, I had to process it. What is all this about? Uh, So that was my first experience. I thought, this is all witchcraft. I'm not going to uh, say that... uh, I feel like that now. I, I feel it's questionable, but I, I'm not going to say witchcraft. Okay, so do you have you been to churches where um, other churches, um, other than that one that you went to, where they spoke in tongues? A community chapel. You've probably heard about that place. <laughs> no. Oh, you, it's, it was too long ago. It was 1992 that they had a big scandal. They had a murder there. Oh, wow. Whoa. You're aware of that? <laughs> I was not. Um, they, uh, they had all kinds of sex parties and drinking, and the, uh, the place went to pieces. That sounds like uh, okay. Sounds like 1 Corinthians. Yeah. Well, maybe. Uh, but I, I, I'd gone away from that a long time. I, that, that was not the kind of church for me. It's just these uh, places you just go a couple times. And, uh, David, if I went to a church where there was a murder, I'd say that's not the kind of church for me either. So if something, somebody spoke in tongues in this church um, one day, how would you react? Well, that's their business. Okay. There you go. Thanks, Tabitha. Okay. You're welcome. I don't have a lot to ask. I just, well, I might have a lot to ask. I, I have a couple questions. So, you move. What year did you move to? What year did you move to the states? Uh, 1968. So 1968, and you said you came because of a Boeing job opportunity. That's correct? right. Okay. So I'm assuming you moved to the Washington area, Seattle. Yes, I moved to Seattle, Washington, then. Okay. So when you moved to Seattle, where was the first place you resided? Uh, Burien, I would say. Where in Burien? Do you remember where? Uh, 164th and 1st Avenue South. 164th and 1st Avenue South. So that's like down the street from the Menchies. It's south of Five south Corners. South of Five Corners. Okay. And how long did you stay there? Oh, uh, that place. I stayed there uh, just about a year. Okay. And well, then- this is residence. I, I worked at... Uh, uh, the developmental center, uh, Boeing Developmental Center. I've also worked in Renton, and uh, uh, thank God they didn't send me to Everett because that was a fear on everybody's mind that you get sent to Everett. It is a huge commute. Okay. Um, what was your first? Uh, what were your initial thoughts when you arrived to the states or Seattle? Your initial thoughts about America in general, or your initial thoughts about Seattle, the environment? Uh, that McDonald's had uh, won. Uh, they were having a fight about. Uh, they 
England said, we've got our fish and chips. We don't want McDonald's here. And uh, somehow McDonald's won. And uh, now, uh, my last trip to England, I go there, there's Kentucky Fried Chicken and uh, <laughs> over uh, uh, Burger so the fast King. Food and, uh, and the whole lot. lot. And drinks. somehow they, they, they took over. And it's that type of business in America I didn't care for. And I had to, but I had to learn to live with it. This is what the American people do. It's a... Uh, uh, well, and uh, well, one of the most embarrassing thing was to learn the uh, different meanings of words. Yeah. You speak about kitty cats, and uh, the English use another word for it, and uh, and uh, and you use the word bum. That means something different in England, and they're all bad words. And they, uh, I had to go through learning all those things. And it was kind of embarrassing. But uh, if we had had more time, I'd love to know some awkward stories. (laughs) Well, uh, you know, you just take it and go on. And uh, you've learned something. I have a simple one first, and it's something I didn't know until I had met you and several years in. Um, And don't talk about it if you don't want to, but you, you described a vivid childhood memory that probably hit me harder than any other, and that was when you saw um, and experienced right in front of you the specific moment that you described when you saw uh, bombers come and strafe, essentially, a, a, a school. It usually came in the night. Okay, okay. But uh, they used to, their fighters used to come over and machine gun children leaving school, and uh, one went by me and hit, uh, 25 feet away from me, and uh, I stepped on the shrapnel uh, so that uh, none of the other kids would uh, pick it up. And then I picked it up. I've still got it. Okay. Wow. That's vivid. I don't see how you would ever get past that. I understand why you would go to 30 years with PSTD. You ask the kids in London, uh, and they might tell you different than I had it soft. Well, yeah. Perspective. I think the last thing I want to ask, or, and, and, and the thing that I like, the two things I like most about you is one is your curiosity. You're curious about everything. I think that is a gift of God in you. Second thing is, is um, <laughs> I, initially, uh, when you would say things that, by my perception, were not appropriate to say uh, about whatever, um, I... I learned to listen closer to you, and I realized in almost 90% of them, those were confessional moments. You were still processing. You were still relearning um, uh, about things that you used to believe that you've learned you, you don't want to believe any further. One of them was as related to, as I recall, a story you told me uh, about uh, resolving your own issues with uh, Germans um, because of the childhood experience and how God and, and, and life had allowed you to do that. So here's my question. Those changes in you, where you've let go of things you got from your parents, things you got from your experience that were negative and, and were placed on other people, were, do you think those changes came as a result of cultural changes, Christ changes, or curiosity changes? It's because that's what I have to do. I mm-hmm. believe God gave me some kind of intellect, God and did. he expects me to use it. Good. And so, therefore, I have to process these thoughts. And, uh, uh, and one of the most interesting things was I decided to go to Germany mm-hmm. uh, 20 years later. Um, 
it was uh, it was very interesting. The German people, uh, uh, I was more or less forced to put, take money out of my pocket and put it in the box at Cologne Cathedral for uh, to, to put it back together again because the British had bombed it. And I didn't know that England had bombed Cologne Cathedral, but I had to take their word for it. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of shocked at that. I didn't think England did that kind of thing. Uh, uh, but, but there was a lot of feeling in England about war. Uh, and that stuck for years and years. Because they had a famous uh, soccer Cup final in 1966 at Wembley Stadium, seating 101,000 people, mm-hmm. and it was packed to the rafters with all mm-hmm. exciting fans. England was playing Germany in the finals. We were fighting World War II all over again, mm-hmm. and uh, and all England was quiet for two hours all through that game. We were all listening to our radios. There were no televisions, but we were all listening in our radios. And then when the final goal was scored in three minutes before time, and then time ran out, everybody cheered. And then they started lighting bonfires, just like they did on VE Day. Hmm. It was a, uh, so you can see the English remembered the war 20 or more years later. Was I the only one that remembered it? I'm sorry. I, uh, yeah. It was lots of people. Otherwise, why would 101,000 people uh, 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 try to kill the German players and they had to have security take them away? Mm-hmm. That, that's how bad things were and 20 yet. years after the war. So uh, it's something to think about. It is, and yet you find yourself in their country re-experiencing, relearning that they, like you, the German people, are human, and feeling sorrow over what your country had done to one of their cathedrals as they had done to yours. That was a changing moment. Not everybody does that. It's what I like about you, and uh, my life is improved as a result of you, and I appreciate that. All right, uh, quickly, when I think of you and I think of your relationship to this church, there's two or three people that just stand out that you've been closer to. And so I want to give you, like, I'm going to name somebody, and then you get 30 seconds to talk about them. But that's it. And then we got to cut you off. So uh, let's start with um, Peter and Ivy and Sophie and Anna. Oh, that was when the church was exciting. <laughs> so we're not exciting anymore? Uh, I, I wasn't too happy with them moving to South Dakota. Well, that's a, that's let me tell you, I wasn't thing. either. Uh, I'm walking, there's two little lively girls working, uh, running around bare feet, and uh, uh, they were adding excitement to the feeling of uh, of, of worship. But they, uh, not all children are like that, but it's, uh, uh, but they seem to be especially so. But, uh, of course, their age, they're probably a lot different now. Mm. And so it's fair to say you miss, you miss that family. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. What about, uh, what about Alan? Well, I'm sorry what happened to him. Uh, uh, well, the day he had his leg cut off, he died the next day. And, uh, and uh, uh, I didn't know he suffered so much. He told me a lot about the Vietnam War and uh, uh, how he served his country there. And I dodged the draft. I had to sign draft papers, but they never sent me. Wow. 
you played with Alan. He the guitar, you the violin. Yes. You guys had a you had you had a relationship, right? You and him connected over that. It was a, it, it was a, yeah. I, I guess you could call it that. It's a, it wasn't as connected as to say was with Joetta. Okay. So you like playing with my mom plays the piano, you play the violin. Very much so. Uh, my biggest fear is that there's nobody to follow her. Hmm. Uh, Laura, Jay, and Shay. Uh, I would rather they were still here. Uh, Jay and Shay were the two that I missed, and of course Laura, and uh, all three of them. Yeah. It wasn't so bad, was it? There's nothing bad about it. Uh, I don't know if we got to the depth of what you wanted to know. Did you know? Did you know you're officially a podcaster now? Uh, I will be. <laughs> you crossed that off I, your bucket I knew list. You, I knew you'd bring up Jay and Shay and the Frenchies too. Did you? I was pretty sure that that would happen. Reading minds? I don't care. You know, it's, uh, I just say what's on my mind. and uh, it's, These are just unfortunate things that happened in the church that these people left. And, uh, 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 you know, we the dumb people stay behind. <laughs> We the what? The, uh, uh, Did you say dumb people? Are you going to insult us on the podcast? It is, uh, it's energy-wise. Oh, you think it lower energy? Uh, the energy of the church went down. Well, then start bringing the energy. I, I, that's all I can do. All right. Well, thanks for, uh, again... You stepping in. Our, the person we had on the schedule uh, could not make it, and so I called you this afternoon about 3 o'clock and said, hey, David, you want to be on the podcast? You're like, sure, why not? So well, thanks for uh, being flexible. Just uh, last minute, jump on in, and uh, until next time. Uh, there's no, uh, there is no tiredness that comes from me doing this. Uh, 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 you know, I could just walk away, and uh, uh, it, it doesn't hurt me at all. I'm, Maybe I could be a broadcaster, I don't know. David Dunn, the broadcaster. <laughs>